Welcome back to the XM Podcast. Here is your host, licensed mental health therapist, Matthew Kanabi. Well, today's guest, I have to be honest, his story astonished me. Last fall, our church asked my wife and I to lead a brand new community group. Uh, One that was going to be filled with primarily people who were just coming out of our new members class. So starting a community group during a pandemic that's going into the holidays, full of people who have never met in person, is a bit of a daunting task. But it has been extremely rewarding so far. We've had a handful of meetings uh, over video calls, and each week new members of the group share their testimony. A couple weeks ago, today's guest, he shared his testimony, and I just felt like his story needed to be heard. I have to be honest, I've heard a lot of things and have worked with a large population of people who suffer from different afflictions, but Brandon's, well, Brandon's is unique. I'd like to introduce our guest today, Brandon Dreger. Well, um, I'm just a dude. <laughs> just a dude. I'm just a dude. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a weird question. Like I, when people ask me to like about myself, I never know what to say. It's, yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like I'm that particularly interesting. <laughs> oh, trust me, my friend, you, you are interesting. <laughs> so, um, I was born, um, into a Christian family and, uh, I, I just really normal life. Uh, parents were recent converts to Christianity and I believe that I had a couple moments in church growing up where I accepted Jesus or whatever, uh, said the, said the words, prayed that little prayer that they tell you to pray, but there was no, um, there was no deeper change in my heart in those moments. So it, it was, it was a religion for me and not a faith. Um, and I, I just kind of went sometimes kicking and screaming because, you know, you have to go to church on Sunday, you have to go to Wednesday night Bible, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of your lot in life as a, a Christian kid around here, at least. Mm-hmm. That was my experience. So um, I did that and just kept going through the motions. Um, went through youth group at the church we had started going to when I was real young. And uh, still nothing changed in my heart until eventually on one fateful night, I uh, um, got caught sleeping with my girlfriend in high school i was a sophomore in high school oh boy and uh so and who caught you so believe it or not the jury is still out on that okay i would have to ask my parents someone told them so it it wasn't like caught red-handed that would be horrifying yeah (laughs) that's that probably be traumatized that would be very scarring um but yeah they found out somehow and they confronted me on it and um you know in a christian household that's an that's a no fly zone. Mm-hmm. So, um, I had this moment in my bedroom after, you know, getting, you know, not, not physically spanked, but that's the feeling you have, you know? Right. <laughs> so I'm like sophomore in high school and I basically just got spanked and, uh, I was just really angry at God. Mm. And, uh, I was angry because I wanted to live life the way I saw fit. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to, you know, just, do me. And right. I, I felt like he was like, I, I didn't want to be a Christian mm-hmm. and uh, I felt like he wasn't letting me. <laughs> wow. And so in this 
this moment of like rebellion, this conversation with God, I, um, I heard him speak to me and, and I've told you this story before. It's very hard for me to articulate, but it was, uh, it was, uh, it's just, it was like a loud, it was a a loud, loud sound for sure. Um, I felt like God yelled at me. (laughs) Um, but in that moment, I couldn't tell you what God said in words, but I could tell you what it, it meant to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, what it meant to me was that I had been like chosen. Mm. And in that moment from coming from a few moments earlier, asking like, like, why won't you just let me leave you essentially? So, you know, the, the contrast there moments later, I hear God's voice and he's telling me that I don't have a choice anymore that you're, you're mine kiddo. That's, this isn't going to change. So this all happened when you were 16. Yes. Wow. So you get caught having sex in, with your girlfriend. Right. Yep. And and then you get the punishment with that, and then all of a sudden God reaches out to you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he reached out to me, and that change was so drastic for me that um, my life pivoted very hard. Like, um, we switched churches, and um, I, I was fortunate enough to be put in a youth group with a guy who just was really articulate and really good Bible teacher. And I went full bore like that, uh, the old, uh, that old DC talk song, Jesus freak, man, I became a Jesus freak like overnight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that song brings back a lot of memories for oh, me. me too. It was my first CD that I ever got. Really? Yeah. And I would listen to it on repeat. Cause that's the only music I had. <laughs> I had my little boom box in my bedroom. Well, I, we won't do it over the podcast, but I've got stories for for days. That, that was the era I was in the Christian industry, oh, and I was in, I played Jesus Freak more times than I can tell you. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I, yeah, I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah. We'll do that some other time, not not on the air. But so, does life just take a one eighty at that point? It does. Yeah, life took a one eighty. Um, I was super involved in youth group, and I was the weirdest Christian ever. Looking back, <laughs> so. One one week, I am being a typical high schooler, mm-hmm. having sex with my girlfriend, doing, you know, drinking, doing whatever with the guys. And uh, a week later, I, I, I've i had such this transformative moment that my mind is like a sponge and I'm just, I'm trying to absorb all this information about about God. And, and so I'm still dating this girl and my, my youth pastor and my my buddy Ryan, they were like, you should probably, you know, is she a Christian even? Like, and I was like, no. <laughs> but you could have been like, but I wasn't either a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were like, you should probably not be in that relationship. Yeah. And so like a complete and total weirdo, I heard what I was supposed to do. And the next day I did it. The next day I walked into school and broke up with my girlfriend. <laughs> in retrospect, was that a good idea? Or Absolutely. You, it was. Yeah. Okay. It was a great idea. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was sound advice. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I, I pretty much, I did, like I said, I was a sponge, man. So I, I just kind of was soaking up what I could. I started reading everything that I could find. Um, I would listen to sermons online and you went, you went all in, all in. Yeah. That's awesome. And so what, what does life look like then for you? I mean, it, it, that's a, 
a pretty drastic change. I mean, I'm assuming your friend circles must change. The things that you're doing on a regular basis must change. Yeah. Well, my friend group changed completely. I think half of it was that I just wasn't around as much because I was so involved with my friends that were Christian. And so I lost some friends because of that just by default, I think. And the other half of the friends I lost is because I scared them off, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) You Bible thumping them? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I could have used more tact looking back. Well, you were sixteen. I mean, I, yeah, was, we all could have used more tact when we were when we were sixteen. How did your parents respond to this drastic change? I think they they were happy to see me playing for the team and wanting to, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So, um, and I, I think that I was such a good like liar as a kid that they probably thought I was saved the whole time. Oh, because I I I never acted out in front of them. I was the good kid. I was the oldest. So when they're listening to this now, they're just going to start realizing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. Brandon wasn't a Christian the whole time? Dude, I've been baptized like three times. <laughs> <laughs> How many times are you supposed to? I've only been baptized once. I, I, You're only supposed to get baptized okay. once? Just making sure I'm not missing out on two. <laughs> yeah. It was like, I. yeah, well, you know how it is. It's like... Um, People talk about, oh, like I, I fell away from the faith for a while and then, um, you know, I'm coming back. I want to get baptized again. And I had done that a couple times before I actually even got saved. <laughs> and so by the time I got saved, my, my youth pastor was like, do you want to get baptized? And I was like, dude, I think I'm good. Like, yeah, I'm covered. Like, yeah. How many times can one person be saved? It's, uh, <laughs> it's really uh, well, funny. that's, that's the thing. <laughs> it, it, you know, if you're looking at it from like a strict mathematical theological standpoint, the answer is once. Right. But but for you, multiple. But for me, you know. That's that's great. Yeah. So take me a little bit further in, into life after 16. Um, what, sure. what does life look like? Well, life after 16, um, it is basically just involves my, who's now my wife, um, because we started kind of talking towards the end of high school, and uh, we started dating when we were 18, and I think... We were like halfway through our senior year of high school, we started dating and we were so like, my wife actually wasn't a Christian when we started dating, which is kind of funny. <laughs> you, you just don't learn. Dude, my, that's my, that's my life. My life is a series of bad decisions on mm-hmm. my part. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, much like the Israelites who wanted to go back to Egypt, I don't learn sometimes. So uh, that's right. Yeah, so I I was dating this girl who was really nice girl, but was not a Christian. Um, mm. And so I did what my youth pastor at the time had dubbed missionary dating, <laughs> which is where you you date someone with the intention of converting them to become a Christian. Right. Oh, it sounds like a great idea. As, and, as, and if you're listening and you're a kid, this is not something that we're encouraging you to go try. I don't think the success rate's very good at that. It's the, not. You know what's crazy though? The to make this even weirder, the statistics. I've, last time I looked at them because I did at one point. Mm-hmm. The success rate when the male is Christian is insanely high. Really? Yeah. It's the ladies that have trouble convincing the dudes. Interesting. Yeah. How do they get that data? This it was based off of just like I don't know who would run such a, a study, but I remember Mark Driscoll talking about it in a in a marriage sermon. Okay, about how like 
the when in couples it's his 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 point was he was talking about gender roles yeah and how the man needs to steer the household sure and how how much weight that carries as evidenced by if a man's a christian his lady's probably gonna become a christian interesting so a little well, little rabbit hole there sorry there, no that's good i mean that, that you know that's a very interesting fact that i did not know that is not weird it is weird so um yeah so my wife and i are dating and uh that's, that's funny. My yeah. wife and I are dating. You mean <laughs> she's my wife now? Yeah, my girlfriend at the time. So yeah. we start dating. I hid that fact from my youth pastor and my best friend for a while because I knew that they were going to give me crap for you know mm-hmm. starting a relationship with somebody who wasn't you know batting with the same jersey on. Mm-hmm. So my wife just slowly she started like soaking up what the things that I would say, and uh, she tells me this now. I find it crazy. She tells me that I was the first person to tell her that she needed Jesus to be saved. Wow. Even though she had grown up in church, she had somehow that had been missed, which, you know, if you, I guess it's not that crazy. If you don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you miss a lot of things. Yeah. Just going through church. But, um, Sarah started to change and, uh, my missionary dating was working flawlessly. <laughs> and uh, we graduated. Um, she's She was going to college. Um, and I happened to be helping out with a church plant in the same town she was going to school. So her and I helped out with this church plant for a while. And uh, my youth pastor eventually ejected where he was at and joined us. Oh, really? Yeah. And then... After that was kind of kicking for a while, we decided a group of us to leave and go start another one in Kent. Um, a church plant. A church plant, yeah. So, oh gosh, man, it seems like forever ago. But, yeah, we, we did that for a while. Um, Were you guys married at that point? or? Oh, yeah, sorry, I did skip over that. We did get, we did get married pretty young. Uh-huh. Um, because, and the reason is pretty funny looking back, but we were like, we were really concerned about staying pure. Mm-hmm. physically speaking and uh w- we knew like a lot of couples that had not done that and sure. we really wanted to honor god and not have sex before we were married and as we're growing together emotionally and spiritually physically is right around the corner you know so yeah we started to realize that it, dealing with that temptation you know was going to be difficult the longer we waited so that was the main reason for me pulling the trigger um and we ended up getting married after we were okay. We dated for a year, and then we were engaged a year. So yeah, two years we were we were married. And, and we, how, how long have you been married now? Okay, um, am I putting you on the spot? <laughs> no, it, it's it's me trying to remember how old I am because we got uh, married when <laughs> that's even worse. <laughs> and my birthday was recent too. Okay, I think seven years because we got married when we were twenty, and I just turned twenty-seven. So okay, that checks out. Yeah, good. And it's going well. It is. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually, I mean, we've been through some for sure ups and downs, which we'll talk about at some point, but we're at a place now where I I feel very fulfilled and I feel blessed. Well, Brandon, let's just, we, I want to get into it. So, uh, I want to set this up a little bit. So uh, a couple weeks ago, you're, you and I are in a community group together. Yes. And we were have been sharing testimonies, and um, a couple weeks ago, you and your wife it came around to your turn, and you shared. And 
Being a mental health therapist, I've heard a lot of things. But I got to be honest with you. When you shared what your trial was and, and the adversity you went through, I was like, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. And as soon as our, our, our Zoom call was over for um, community group, I reached out to you and I was like, dude, would you be willing and open to talking about this on the podcast? Because I think it's, one, I think people are going to be like, what? And then two, I think there are people probably suffering from things out there that we can bring a little bit of hope to. Not to say that God's healing everybody the same way, but, um, well, without me giving too much away, tell me about this adversity you went through years ago. Sure. So this started when I was working as a police officer. And um, one day I was sitting in dispatch and I I smelled like the smell of burning tires. And I asked my buddy next to me if he smelled it. And he said, no. And that, I thought nothing of it. Um, but a week later, it like happened again. And the smells just kept changing. And I didn't, I didn't know what it was, but it, it wasn't inhibiting any thing major in my life. So I just kind of ignored it. And, uh, that it just got progressively worse. Like, um, not only the frequency of having a smell that no one else smells and trust me, I checked multiple times. I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Hey, does anyone else smell a two week old body? Like, Tell me a little bit, like, what were some of the smells that you were getting and then realizing, oh, my gosh, I'm the only one smelling this? Yeah, well, like I said, at first it started out with, like, um, it smelled like burning tires was one, and another was, like, if you've ever, that weird smell of, like, an electric motor that's burnt out. Yes. That kind of metallic burning smell. So it was was those types of smells at first, and um, the longer it went on, it was was more like, it was less chemically... And less, uh, less metallic and more like, like rot, like rotten meats. And, uh, like I said, I mean, I have due to, you know, being a police officer, I have smelled bodies that have been sitting for a while mm-hmm. and it started to smell more like that. Like something, uh, that's, that's spoiled. So you're smelling like rotten, like flesh. Yeah. Rotten flesh, burned hair, um, a lot of people have smelled that. That's another one that I would smell a lot. But the the problem for me was that it the frequency just kept growing. Mm-hmm. And so I think from the first time it started, maybe within the first like four months, it was like on a weekly basis, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Then a couple months later, it was a daily basis, but not not enough to really affect my life too much. I would just, I would not eat during those times. Obviously, because when you like smell is so, so connected to your, your perception of taste. And so I would smell things that are very bad and smell spoiled. And I mean, nobody wants to eat like a moldy piece of chicken or something. So I would just, you know, I would not eat. And what I started doing too, is I would start like, um, like flushing out my, my, my nasal passages. And that would work sometimes in that it would like cover everything up and I couldn't smell anything. Mm-hmm. So I was essentially neutralizing my sense of smell if I needed to eat. But yeah, a couple months later, man, like that, all those, um, tools that I was trying to use, they just stopped working over time. So about a year into this, it was, it was not only daily, but it was, it was like most of my day. So what I would do is 
I would wait until it would go away, and then I would go eat everything in sight. Really? Yeah. It'd get as much in my belly as I could. Yes. Yeah, so sometimes it would happen while I was eating, and I'd get super angry. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one time I I was having like a good day, and if you know me, you know that I had I fiercely love Chipotle, mm-hmm. and I have ordered like the same thing at Chipotle for the past decade. Mm-hmm. So it's like a almost ritualistic experience for me going to Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I remember there were multiple times where I came home with Chipotle and was like a couple bites into a burrito and just bam, it like, it hit me. And so I, doesn't everything taste like that? If that's what you're smelling, what you're eating tastes like what you're smelling. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So uh, not super fun, but I mean, mentally this just started taking a toll on me because I was, I didn't have the tools to deal with that kind of like constant I don't know what the word is. I guess oppression is how I, I viewed it. Um, because a year into this, it was like, it was just constant. Like I'd wake up smelling things mm-hmm. and I go to bed smelling things and I had to like eat bland foods. Um, I, I did eat every other day most of the time through that, that second year of dealing with that. So, so up until that point, um, was there any like, did you go to your doctor or anything and be like, hey, like, what is happening? Yeah, I did. I, I had a, a neurologist that was working on it and an ENT, which is a ear, nose, and throat doctor. So the ENT was doing not a lot, <laughs> honestly. He kind of told me from the beginning that he's had a few um, patients that have had it, and the symptom is called phantosmia. And it's So it's a real thing. It is a real thing. It's rare and unfortunately for me most people that get it um experience it for less than a year and most people smell like sweet sugary fruity things <laughs> you, you got the raw end <laughs> i of got that the deal. raw end of the stick yeah um, no, no pun intended yeah so um he said you know it, it might go away someday and uh that was kind of what what he said the neurologist was was more of like a a scientific Mm-hmm. Um, angle. They were doing EKGs and uh, like brain scans, every kind of donut machine they could put my head through. Um, it went through. So Did they find anything? No, no. And my my wife was really glad um, because one of the things that the neurologist was worried about was there's a certain part of your brain that if a tumor grows and it pushes on it, it can affect your sense of smell. So we were glad that I didn't have a, a tumor, obviously, but part of me was like man i'll take that tumor they can cut me open and take that thing out and i can be done with this at this point how how is this then affecting your personality your mood the person that you are i mean year in and then it keeps going i mean i think when you and i last uh kind of talked about this you said this lasted you know kept going for at least two years um how does that affect how does that weigh on you and how does that then affect your marriage well affected my marriage a lot my wife had to basically take over everything because I couldn't be counted on because I was like not only super grumpy all the time, but I just, I was like so overwhelmed by this thing that I I couldn't really be, like I said, I couldn't be counted on. Like I, I was unreliable and angry, upset, um, but it affected my relationship with God most of all because my wife is a trooper. Um, 
when it comes to hard stuff, she takes it on the chin pretty well. Um, and she's very good at suffering for a long time. Um, Hmm. which is, uh, I'm glad that I had her for sure. Um, I, I think honestly, if I would have married somebody else, we, I might not have been married at the end of this. Really? (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty bad. It was bad. Um, but it affected my relationship with God a lot too. Um, I think a lot of people get, um, kind of angry with God when they suffer. I never took that approach because that's just not my personality. But I did frequently ask God to like steer a semi over the line so that I could, you know, die and and not have to deal with the the constant smell anymore. I mean, the smell was so bad. You got to a point where it's like, Lord, you know what? Just take my life. Yeah, just I want to be done. Like I don't care how it happens. I and like I told you last time, I was never gonna commit suicide. Right. Um. That that's also not my personality. But I did, I, I wanted to quit. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. It's like that feeling where you just feel like you have nothing left to give. Like, like that feeling when you are doing something difficult physically and you're, you're tired and you're, you're wore out and you're like, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm quitting. Mm-hmm. That's how I would wake up feeling just like, I'm so done with this man. Like, I don't know. It was, it was very uh, emotionally draining. And during that time, and I could be um, uh, remembering this incorrectly, but you even came to emerge. I think at at one point, uh, I did. That's where things started to turn around for me. Yeah, talk um, to me about that experience. So, uh, yeah, I started going to emerge after I, in my time with being married to Sarah, I had never raised my voice at her ever. And there was one day where I was so upset that I was like screaming at her. Mm. And after that whole thing, she was like, you are going to counseling. Mm. And I was like, I messed up. I know I need to get some help. So, yeah, I started going to counseling and uh, I think I don't want to take away credit from my counselor, but I, I also feel like God whipped my heart around in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um not in that moment, but in that time when I started going to counseling, sure, because I really, it really had just the pressure had blown, and I knew that I couldn't keep living this way, or I was either going to become like I was going to need to be institutionalized, yeah. or, or something drastic was going to have to happen if I if I didn't change the trajectory. So I started. Um, yeah, going to emerge and through conversations with my counselor, it was, it was like, there was a moment where I decided one, that I was going to accept the fact that this might not ever go away and stop hoping in a sense in, in staking my, my hope, placing my hope on the possibility of me getting essentially what I want. Mm-hmm. And so I, just as best I could. Every time I felt angry, I tried to remind myself that this is my life right now. And I am not going to let this determine who I become. And it was difficult and it took a lot of, it took a lot of repetition and man, it's hard. It's, I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, I mean, any, any kind of suffering too, it, it's, it's just hard Mm -hmm. to have that the stamina, especially when it's chronic. Like, I mean, I know a lot of people that are even now dealing with like chronic health issues and I totally 
get it. Like it's tough. It's tough because it's an everyday thing. So tell me about what happened then um, as that that second year kind of came to an end. That there was a, an event that that took place that. Share a little bit about that. There was, man. It was one of the coolest moments of my life. Yeah. So uh, Sarah and I were getting ready to go on a trip to Florida to visit my brother for his, he had a military school he was going through and he was graduating. And like every normal day, those couple of years, I, I woke up and I, I smelled like, I don't remember what it was that day, some kind of rotten something. Mm-hmm. And uh, packed up, went to the airport got on the plane and as we we're flying to Destin, Florida, um, I felt that sensation like leaving my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably going to get emotional talking about this again. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> it's heavy. It's, I'm blessed to have a beautiful experience like this. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I felt, I felt it like leave my, my nose and uh i i didn't want to jinx it but um like what i had been upset about before was the fact that i wasn't going to get to enjoy that smell of the ocean right mm-hmm. and uh dude it's okay after years of like praying for death so that i could be done just just be done with it um i i stepped off the plane <laughs> and i could i could smell mm-hmm. and uh i know i i don't deserve that healing that i got um i know so many people who are suffering through hard things and I, I just feel really blessed in that moment like it changed the way I view the world and the way I view God and like I think beforehand I I felt like God was perfect but his his goodness wasn't as real to me as it is now on this side of this um, yeah it was and now like I don't I don't worry about stuff anymore <laughs> mm-hmm. because I just, I feel so like so blessed, just lucky. Like I, I had just got done accepting the fact that this was probably never going to go away. And I touched down in Florida, I believe it was two years ago now. And it was, it hasn't happened again since, which goes against what the doctors told me was going to happen was it's going to fade away it's going to, you know, it may be, yeah. Wow. And so I, I'm just hearing your story, you know, just it gives me goosebumps and all kinds of things. Talk to me a little bit about that emotion you were just experiencing. What was kind of coming up? I mean, that that's a, a powerful moment to go through that suffering for two years. And then all of a sudden God goes, okay, Brandon, you're healed. Well, for me is like, I, I understood like, I didn't fully understand, but I understood better what heaven is going to be like, mm. like stepping off of that plane and feeling relief. Like I think a lot of people are worried about dying. I am less worried about dying now than I ever have been because yeah. I know how good it's going to feel to 
walk through those gates and just, especially like, I mean, life is hard on people in different, like, like it's not all equal. Not everybody has the same amount of hardship in their life, but we all have it to some degree. And in that moment, I just felt like joy and God's goodness. And I, I feel like I understood a little bit, a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like because of that relief of burden. And wow, that is so powerful, man. Um, I've heard of the uh, hallucination of sight, of hearing. Yeah. But living with this smell, I mean, I would imagine if you were still having this, you'd be like, uh, somebody just give me COVID. Like, yeah. <laughs> give it to me now. <laughs> give it to me now. Um, what What's the last two years been like living free of this ailment? It's every day has been great. Yeah. <laughs> every day. And especially the days where I force myself to remember how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Those are the best days, man. Cause I just like, and when something crappy happens, I look at my wife and I say, I don't have to smell dead things today. So it's still a good day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. I mean, like you said, we all have adversities. We, we all go through different things in life, different trials. Yeah. Um, and you may not have an answer for this, but what do you think that that might have been for you in your life? What you know, I think God allows things to happen. I know I have my story, and I've shared that on the podcast before a little bit, and some of the things I endured. Looking back two years now, what do you think is some of the takeaways for you? Going, well, that's that's what God was doing two years ago. Um, I would never say that God caused it to happen to me, first of all. Sure. Even though I I used to think that. Um, I was never mad at him for it. I felt like, if you're doing this to me, I deserve it. You know, It's hard for me to talk about suffering on this end of it because looking back, I'm like, I don't know if I... like When you're in the struggle, it's different. It's easy to say, oh, this is what you can learn from suffering when you're not suffering. But on this end of it, I... I feel like suffering is a way we get to participate in Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, he suffered more than any of us. And when we suffer, we can take that as an opportunity to be a part of that. And it really, it's like, it's a cleansing process. Mm-hmm. Suffering can either cripple you or it can sanctify you. And it's not, doesn't have to be one or the other. It's going to be hard and messy. Yeah. But on this end of suffering for me, I am a better husband, a better Christian, just a better person. Mm-hmm. I guess my takeaway is is that suffering doesn't have to be all that bad. Yeah, I, I love the saying that you know we, we don't meet we don't meet God at the top of the mountain. He meets us in the gutter. Yeah, oh, that's so true, dude. You know, yeah. because it's like I know the the way I visualize life. It's like this long and narrow, windy road, and every time I fall off the path, God's there to pick me up. And those yeah. are my adversities. And it's it's it's. You know, I, 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 again, and I, I know I quote this all the time, and all my clients who are listening are like, we know you love the book of James, but I love the book of James. And um, But James talks about, he goes, if, if, if we don't suffer, then what is the reason to send a Savior? If we, if we don't yeah. have difficulty in our life, then there was no point of Jesus. Like, if everything was like the Garden of Eden, it's copacetic, yeah. well, then there's no point of, of Jesus. And, and, you know, oftentimes, I think most stories when when you hear most testimonies it's when somebody's going through a rough time is when they when they find christ it's not all the time but yeah you know a lot of the times that's when we find them and if it's not 
you know, if you were a Christian before, then then you really lean into them when, when the adversity comes because there's not a person on this planet that hasn't experienced adversity um, or yeah. difficulty. I mean, dude, as Christians, the bar for our expectation of how much comfort we can expect is set pretty low <laughs> because our God was homeless when he came to earth. Yeah. Jesus was homeless for his most of his adult life and was sentenced to a crime he didn't commit and was tortured to death. Yeah. So that kind of sets the bar pretty low. Yeah. I think, you know, if we're <laughs> expecting that we're going to have this neat, comfortable life. That's you know? exactly right. Man, I, I appreciate you so much um, sharing this story. And I, I just think it's, um, it's, it's powerful. It's just really interesting. And, and um, I'm, I'm really uh, enjoying getting to know you. You and I were kind of introduced uh, several months back and yeah. uh, through our community group and stuff. We've been getting to, to know each other a little bit and, uh, I just, I'm so appreciative of you being open to uh, share your story on the on the podcast. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you being here. God bless you, my friend. Thanks. God bless you too, bro. Phantosmia is a medical word used by doctors when a person smells something that is not actually there. Phantosmia is also called a phantom smell or an olfactory hallucination. The smells vary from person to person, but are usually unpleasant such as burnt toast, metallic, or chemical smells. What a redemptive story of healing Brandon shared today. A really interesting guy, which you could probably tell I really enjoyed spending time with during this podcast. Thank you for listening. Please check out emerge.org for more information around who we are as a ministry and share this podcast. Give us a comment or a like. Well, until next time, or when our Savior comes, God bless.